Chapter 11 of The Romance of Modern Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jack Hill. The Romance of Modern Astronomy by Hector McPherson. Chapter 11 Saturn, the Ringed World. In ancient days, when astrology had sway over mankind, the planets were believed to influence the destinies of mortals. To be born under the planet Jupiter was to be sure of a career marked by good fortune and distinguished by glory. Mars was the god of war, and those born under the sign of that planet were characterized by martial deeds and military renown. The favorites of Mercury had the arts as their special sphere, while Venus held sway in the realms of love. Saturn was known as the unlucky planet, its slow motion and dull, laden light betokened gravity and gloom, and those born under its sign were called Saturnine, and were thought to be dull and morose in their natures, and to be destined to grief and calamity. To the unaided eye, Saturn appears as a star of the first magnitude, with none of the brilliancy of the other planets. It has nothing of the steady brilliance of Jupiter, the soft luminosity of Venus, or the fiery red light of Mars. Consequently, the ancients thought Saturn by far the least interesting of the planets, and indeed, when it is examined with the unaided eye, we are inclined to accept their opinion. But with a powerful telescope, we gain quite a different idea of Saturn. So far from being the least interesting of the planets, it is the most interesting. Indeed, it is absolutely unique in the solar system, and as far as is known, in the universe. When we turn the telescope on it, we behold a glorious orb. Its disk is striped with belts similar to those of Jupiter, only fainter owing to its greater distance. A wonderful system of three rings surrounds the planet, two bright and one a dusky hue. These are perfect in symmetry and exquisite in beauty. Our sense of the marvelous is deepened when it is borne in mind that these rings are not less than 176,000 miles in diameter and 30,000 miles in width, and not more than 50 to 100 miles in thickness. Telescopic contemplation of this magnificent planet, with its imposing system of rings, fills the mind with feelings of wonder and awe. As Flammaria puts it, When we think that there is here a celestial deck on which the entire globe of the earth might roll like a ball on a road, and that the world, poised in the center, is several hundred times larger than our planet, we transport ourselves easily in thought to those sublime regions. The system of rings which encircle Saturn has been known to astronomers for two and a half centuries. To Galileo they were a source of much perplexity. His telescope was not powerful enough to disclose their true nature. When he first observed Saturn, it seemed to him to be oval-shaped, and this appearance he believed to be due to the fact that the planet was in reality triple, consisting of a large celestial body with a smaller orb on each side, like two servants who help old Saturn on his way. Accordingly, he announced that the planet was triple. Some time later, he concluded that the appearance pointed to the existence not of a triple planet, but of an orb oval in shape. Great was his surprise when two years afterwards he found that the planet had become round again. We now know that these appearances are due to the periodical vanishings of the rings, owing to the fact 
that as Saturn moves onward in its orbit, we sometimes behold the ring system, which is very thin, directly in the line of vision, and thus see it edgewise. Galileo knew nothing of this, and he was astonished at the planet's change of shape. He was utterly cast down, writing to his friend, the ambassador of the Grand Duke of Tuscany. In the end of 1612, he said, Were the appearances indeed illusion or fraud, with which the glasses have so long deceived me, as well as many others to whom I have shown them? I do not know what to say in a case so surprising, so unlooked for, and so novel. The shortness of the time, the unexpected nature of the event, the weakness of my understanding, and the fear of being mistaken have greatly confounded me. So much was Galileo disappointed at his failure to solve the problem, that he gave up observing Saturn altogether. It was left to a later astronomer, the Dutchman Huygens, to demonstrate the true nature of the appearances. With the aid of telescopes much more powerful than those used by Galileo, he came to the conclusion that the planet was surrounded by a ring, but he was not absolutely certain, and he wished to test his theory so that there would be no possibility of mistake. In those days, it was the custom of men of science to publish their discoveries to the world in the form of anagrams. That is to say, they wished to secure for themselves the right of discovery, and at the same time have the opportunity of confirming their theories. Accordingly, he jotted down a number of letters in chaotic form and published them in an apparently senseless jumble. Huygens was afraid that while testing his theory of the existence of a ring system, some other astronomers might make the discovery independently and thus rob him of the honor. Therefore, he published the following anagram in 1656. A-A-A-A-A-A-C-C-C-C-C D. E. 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 G. H. I. 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 L. 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 M. M. N. 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 O. 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 P, P, Q, R, R, S, T, 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 U, 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 U. Three years later, he arranged the letters in their natural order, having satisfied himself that his theory was correct. This made up the following Latin sentence. Anulo cigitur tenui pleno nusquam Coherente ad ellipticum inclinato. Translated into English, this reads, The planet is surrounded by a slender, flat ring inclined to the elliptic and nowhere touching the body of the planet. Many years afterwards, it was found that the ring was really composed of two rings. We now know of the existence of three. Within the two bright rings, there is a third known as the dusky ring. It was the last of the three to be discovered and was first detected in 1850. For many years, it was supposed that the ring system was a solid whole, that the rings were flat planes, but it has been now proved that they are not solid, being made of innumerable small satellites, or rather meteorites. And so close together are these minute bodies that they appear from this vast distance as a complete solid. They are in constant revolution around the planet, 
From Saturn, it is probable that they appear as a continuous whole. Indeed, from the surface of the planet, the ring system must seem both magnificent and stupendous. Let us imagine ourselves on the globe of Saturn, on a journey from the pole to the equator, keeping a close watch on the Saturnian heavens. From the poles, the rings are invisible. As we move equatorwards, the system gradually comes into view. As we advance, the rings rise higher and higher above the horizon. At the same time, they diminish in breadth as we see them more and more foreshortened. At the equator, they are exactly overhead, and we only see the interior edge of the system as a narrow arch extending right around the heavens. From a latitude of 28 degrees on Saturn, says the French writer Guillaume, the ring system is seen as an immense arch, interrupted by a large space at the summit. The sky is visible through the division which separates the two principal rings, and it again appears below the arch. The interruption at the summit is produced by the shadow cast by Saturn, and is only distinguished from the sky by the absence of stars. It is possible, however, that this eclipsed portion of the rings may be sometimes rendered visible by the refraction of the solar rays by the atmosphere of the planet. When we add to the strange beauty of the spectacle the presence of the satellites presenting different phases, some full, others new, others gibbous or crescent, and an idea will be formed of the variety of aspect of the Saturnian nights. This description applies only to the summertime of the particular hemisphere of the planet for which it is intended. In winter, the ring system reflects no light whatever to the planet. Not only do the rings give no light during the Saturnian winter, but they cut off the light of the sun from the planet. They totally eclipse the sun for long periods at a time. For 15 years, half the period of Saturn's revolution, the sun is to the south of the rings, and for 15 years to the north. But the shadow of the ring system is so broad that the regions midway between pole and equator on Saturn have to suffer eclipses which last for more than five of our years at a time. Saturn is at a much greater distance from the Sun than the Earth and receives much less sunlight. Consequently, it can ill afford to be deprived for long periods at a time of the little sunshine which it is due. Saturn, therefore, does not seem a very inviting dwelling place for human beings. In all probability, however, there are no inhabitants on the planet. We learn this from a study of the globe itself. Saturn is the second largest planet in the solar system and has a diameter of 74,000 miles. Suppose we represent the Earth by a P. In proportion, we may take an orange to represent Saturn. Its distance from the Sun is nearly 900 millions of miles and it requires almost 30 years to revolve once around the central luminary. Like the Earth, Saturn rotates on its axis. This rotation is performed in Saturn's case in 10 hours, 16 minutes, a much more rapid rate of rotation than that of our world, notwithstanding the greater size of the ringed planet. The globe of Saturn, apart from the rings, is a striking spectacle, although not so striking as Jupiter, seen through a good telescope. The cloud belts do not show the same rapidity of change as do those of Jupiter. Still, changes are apparent to the careful observer. The only surface of Saturn which we can see is its atmosphere, which is so dense and cloud-laden that beyond it nothing is visible. On the Earth, and also on Mars and Venus, 
the atmospheric clouds are raised by the heat of the sun. Venus, for instance, has a denser atmosphere than our world, probably because it is closer to the sun. Mars, on the other hand, has a thinner atmosphere, but Saturn is at a much greater distance, and at that distance the heat of the sun is so diminished in power that it could not be responsible for the existence of an atmosphere so much more cloud-laden than ours. The heat which raises the clouds comes not from the sun, but from the planet itself. Like Jupiter, Saturn appears to be in a much earlier stage of development than the Earth. The oceans, which will at some future date settle down on the planet's surface, exist at present only in the form of masses of cloud floating in the atmosphere. It is more than doubtful whether Saturn has any solid surface beneath the dense canopy of clouds. It may have a crust partly solidified, but subject to violent eruptions, such as seem to have been prevalent during the early stages of the life of our own world. Let us picture to ourselves what goes on beneath those cloud belts. A world in a state of chaos exists there. Violent eruptions take place. Boiling, seething masses of fire shoot through the partially solidified crust. It is a world of relentless turmoil and sweltering heat. This view of the condition of Saturn is confirmed by the fact that while it is about 700 times larger than the Earth, it is only about 90 times as heavy. Indeed, in proportion to its size, Saturn is the lightest of all the planets. It is only equal in weight to a globe of walnut wood of the same size. In fact, if we could imagine a great ocean large enough to hold the various planets, and if we could imagine the planets thrown one by one into that ocean, Saturn would actually float while all the others would sink. The extraordinary lightness of Saturn is explained by its condition of intense heat. Thus we see that in two particulars, Saturn is unique in the solar system. It is the lightest of all the planets, and it possesses a marvelous system of rings. But in another respect, it is also unique. So far as we know, it possesses more satellites than any other planet. There are no fewer than ten of these little bodies owing it allegiance and circling around it in ceaseless revolution. In order of distance from the planet, the names of these little worlds are Mimas, Enceladus, Tethys, Dione, Rhea, Titan, Hyperion, Thymus, Iapetus, and Phoebe. Of these, Titan is by far the largest. It was the earliest discovered and was first seen by Huygens during his study of the planet. It is about 3,000 miles in diameter and equal in size to the planet Mercury. Indeed, Titan is quite a little world in itself. The faintest and probably the smallest is Thymus, which was discovered in 1905 by Professor W. H. Pickering of Harvard by means of photography. So faint is the little moon that it is quite invisible by ordinary telescopic methods, and it is only known by its image on the photographic plate. The most remarkable member of the system of Saturn, however, is the little moon known as Phoebe, the most distant of the satellites. All the other nine moons revolve from west to east. The rings also revolve in that direction. The planet likewise rotates in that direction. But Phoebe revolves in the opposite direction, from east to west. Just imagine, if we had a number of moons and one of them revolved in the opposite direction from the others, how complicated and bewildering our evening skies would become.
The satellites have great diversity in their periods of revolution. Little Mimas, the closest to Saturn of the ten, is at a distance of 115,000 miles and revolves in 22 hours, 37 minutes. Phoebe requires 16 months for its slow revolution around its primary. In the heavens, Saturn, with its magnificent system of rings and its gorgeous retinue of moons, is a spectacle as majestic as it is unique. If any of its satellites be inhabited, these inhabitants will probably regard the planet as we regard the sun, as light giver and heat giver. And with good reason will they look to Saturn as their sun, as probably it gives out a certain amount of intense heat. Supposing either Saturn or its satellites were inhabited, the inhabitants would be hardly able to catch a glimpse of our Earth. Seen from Saturn, the Earth is a small, insignificant point, lost in the light of the far-away luminary, the Sun. End of chapter 11